Welcome to Vulnerability Hangover, the show where the only goal is authentic connection through vulnerable discussion. The rules? It's safe to be open, honesty is required, and kindness rules the conversation. The suggestions? Listen well, feel fully, and try to have some fun. Now introducing your host, Anthony Rita. Today's episode is a great one. I talked to my friend Liam about focus, both in the long-term, maybe tenacity sense of the word, and also focus in the short-term minutia of doing a task sense. And Liam thinks in a way that's different than me, which is always fascinating. And we also talk about starting a DJ collective and what that is like and creating something in an artist city maybe the most poetic city in the United States, San Francisco, and what that process is like, which also has to do with focus and some tenacity, but a lot of fun. So without further ado, a conversation with Liam Hausman. My guest today is Liam Hausman. Hello, Liam. Thank you so much for joining. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It's great to be here, Anthony. You're very welcome. So Liam, we're going to start with the better version of the worst question. And so I will ask you, why do you do what you do? I have struggled most of my life with making my brain do the things that uh, I think I'm supposed to do that, you know, it's applied to school at the outset and then more school, you know, in college. And then, um, the rigmarole of the things that you have to do at jobs in order to do the things that you want to do at that job. I you know, was diagnosed with ADHD as a kid and didn't really learn to take care of it until like I did research on it on my own in college. So I've generally sought to build a career where I can like harness the superpowers that come with ADHD and minimize the negative impact of the, you know, challenges that come with ADHD. I don't want to like self-identify my, uh, you know, my personality or my identity really with ADHD as much as it sounds like I'm currently doing. But I think that reckoning with the way that my brain works um, and fitting, you know, building a career that is compatible with having more eggs in one basket than most people and having fewer eggs in one basket than most people building my career around that uh, has kind of been the focus of my of my professional life and you know over eight years now since college having pretty much worked constantly I finally feel like I'm kind of in a good place with that that is a fascinating answer I love that thank you and segueing into the follow-up question to that is how did you get from where you started maybe in high school, recognizing and reckoning with ADHD to where you are now today? Yeah, that's a good context for the question. I think um, if we start with high school, I struggled a lot in high school. I got pretty poor grades um, and I didn't get into, you know, most of the colleges that my 
that the people around me told me I should want to get into, you know, didn't get into University of Washington, didn't get into NYU, but I did get into Washington State and I did get into Arizona State. And those two schools I applied to because they both had fantastic journalism schools. And that's where we met. It is. And yeah, so, you know, studied public relations and digital media entrepreneurship in college and had a fantastic professor who I kind of looked to for a lot of mentorship. And, you know, at one point I told her, this is, I think, like junior year or sophomore, junior year, I told her, like, I'm either thinking about going to LA and trying to work in music PR when I graduate or going to San Francisco and going to work in tech PR when I graduate. And she told me, you know, it'll be easier for you given that you're a big time nerd, you know, to, um, to build a career, like a differentiated career in tech PR, and then go work in music later if you want to, then to, you know, then try to compete in music PR, and then maybe go work in tech later. So I would recommend going into tech. And so, and that was great advice. So I went and worked at a tech PR agency um, in San Francisco out of college. And struggled there a lot because there was a lot of you know crappy work to do um, that as the low person on the totem pole at an agency you just have to do it's like it's your job you know a lot of note taking a lot of like you know really minute small tasks that were boring and that uh, I had to you know prioritize and reprioritize and constantly communicate, you know, updates on timing and just things that like a person with ADHD brain who really relies on like hyper focus to get anything done. Just it was it was pretty agonizing. But I did get to um, work on some really cool stuff, specifically around writing. Um, Anytime there was like a big writing project or a big research project where I had to like, go deep on some technical topic and really, really deeply nerd out on something, I could totally nail it. And I wrote, you know, I was 22. I wrote this massive 12 page, you know, effectively like a technical white paper and it won the biggest industry award of the year. They won like gold, like best in show at the biggest industry conference. Damn. That's like, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. That was a win that like most people in PR, like just, I mean, it takes a long time to, you know, have something to hang your hat on like that. Cause most of the time you just don't get the opportunity to work on projects and own things like that. So credit to my employer at the time for even giving me the shot. So I started to kind of like see what I was good at um, and see what I really hated doing. So I leaned into like content work um, rather than the really intense, fast-paced incremental work of like of media relations. And so then I worked, I went and I kind of did this whole long path of um, working at startups where I would join a startup, they typically, you know, be underfunded, uh, under resourced, and they'd be an underdog. And they wouldn't have a lot of dollars to throw at marketing. But, uh, you know, they'd hire me the little, you know, like young, young 20s, like nerdy kid who loved writing. Uh, and I just write, write my my hands off, like just blogging, writing website copy, email copy, social media blogs, like just just trying to get you know trying to be the mouthpiece of of these companies yeah and that that went pretty well um eventually i wanted to work at larger companies um and see how it worked when you did have resources and you did have someone like a lot like a a large group of veteran marketers who actually know what they're doing you know and like have been around the block a few times and have seen things work and you know see what successful businesses that have been running for 
a long time look like on the inside. So I went and worked for a much larger tech company and that was fine. I recently left that tech company and joined a much, much, much larger tech company and uh, found I, what feels like the right job for me, I think, at last. Brilliant. And would you like to do the big reveal? Where Where do you work and what do you do? Sure. I, as of two months ago, am the cybersecurity editor for Google's cloud blog. That is phenomenal. Congratulations. Thank you. You mentioned that it feels like the right place for you. And while you were talking about the journey and the path of getting there, you talked about one yourself being someone where your brain works, where you have a lot of things in one basket or like fewer things than others in, in one basket. You also mentioned a lot of, or, or finding out what you were good at compared to what you hated. What was the, what makes this spot on your path feel like the place where those things all come together? Yeah, that's a good question. I think um, the biggest thing that I've learned about how to get the most out of like my own attention is to avoid context switching as much as possible. You know, anytime I have to like set down one task and pick up another task or complete a task and then, you know, look at my to-do list, which usually takes the form of like 20 Chrome tabs open, you know, <laughs> like, um, like and, and prioritize those and figure out what's the next thing that I need to spend my time on. The more that I have been able to like increase the size of the task and reduce the frequency of the task and also like make more of the tasks be writing or editing writing and less of the tasks be communicating with people or updating metrics or, you know, there's tons of minutiae and contextual work that goes into running marketing campaigns. Um, and I do really enjoy those things. Like I don't want to sell myself short and say that I'm not good at those things, but like the satisfaction and like, nirvana brain state that can come and i'm sure you experience this too as a creative you know maybe in the video editing booth you know the feeling that you achieve when you're like an hour or two hour or even three hours deep into like you know just a marathon session of like editing writing just like in flow you know knowing that you are doing something that you're doing this work at a higher quality and faster pace than like most people could do and being really satisfied with the quality of the work that you're creating. I mean, that's like the nirvana of labor distribution, right? It's like the more we can have more people doing something that gives them that feeling of like, this is what I'm good at. And this makes me feel good doing it. I think that's like, that's the ideal. Just the feeling of like writing. I edited a 4,000 word blog post in an hour last week about like, troubleshooting the performance of your cloud database using dashboards provided by that database. It was like this ridiculously technical, super in the weeds, very logical, kind of like very long, meaty blog post. But I tore through it. Like I was somehow just like some topics just, you know, I can enter the dragon of hyper-focus and just like, you know, 
tear through it. And it feels like so good to be super deep into something, knowing that you're like probably pushing the limit of your endurance and still like, you know, dunking with your quality of work where it's like, you know, oh, I found this like really kind of nuanced thing in this paragraph that we should clarify and it'll make this whole thing flow better. Like that feeling of like knowing you're doing a really good job at a level that is that you've worked years to be able to achieve that, you know, pace and quality, like that is writing and editing to me. So the more that I can be in a role where I'm not just writing and editing, like for a content farm, but like writing and editing, like really impactful, important, and deeply difficult content for a, uh, like a big important entity like Google. I just feel great about like being able to apply my skills in a way that is useful. As you should. And I'm really glad you used the word flow, the idea of a flow state, because I feel like that really is the ideal. Yeah, and absolutely. Absolutely. When, when you get to a point where you are able to do something at such a high level, at such a high level of quality, and oftentimes at a rate of speed that you look around and you think to yourself, there's not a lot of people that could do what I'm doing right now at the level that I'm doing it. And when you can find that, it's it feels intoxicating. Good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you finish that and you're like, God, this is nerdy. But dude, I feel like so great about being able to do this. I dunked it. I dunked on it. Yeah, I dunked yes. I'm, 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 you know, Russell Wilson in the pocket right now. <laughs> I love it. You've, you've mentioned, not currently, but previously, that you applied to Google six or seven times. And Oh, way more than that. I think I've had to do like dozens of times. Sorry, go on. <laughs> so, no, not at all. No, no, So dozens of yeah. times. And you, you're now there. Mm-hmm. And something that was interesting that, that you wrote was that you wanted to really pay it forward mm-hmm. as much as you could. Mm-hmm. What's the motivation behind that? That's a good question. I think paying it forward to me means applying the things that I've learned just for the betterment of the people in my life. I don't know. There, I think there's just like, there's something about working for a name brand uh, employer that you've been using, you know, I've been doing Google searches since I was like, I don't know what, 10 years old, like something like that. You know, there's something about a big tech brand working for a big tech brand that, that people really, you know, I think, I think you, like I told, I tell my parents, you know, I'm working for Google and it's like, they like to tell their friends about that. You know, it's like, there's definitely some cachet to it from literally. Yeah. Like, first year out of college, I've been kind of, you know, just had every few months checked in on their careers page and seen what, um, what was there, you know, I definitely applied for a ton of stuff I have no business doing, (laughs) like, you know, anything in the music department, anything in YouTube, like, just anything really that I felt like I could have a shake of a chance at, um, I took my shot at. But yeah, I, I honestly, like, as far as paying it forward, I have found that every job that I've had, literally except for Google, I've somehow gotten my foot in the door through networking. Who you know, everybody says that, but like it's once you go and do it, it's like, it's just crazy how far that can take you. You know, it's like, oh, I like my first job out of, out of college, when I moved to San Francisco. I took my spring break senior year in San Francisco. And I emailed every single one of my professors I had ever had, every manager I'd ever had from an internship, anybody who I thought would have any connection to tech or, or 
PR in San Francisco. And I said, hey, I am going out to San Francisco to network entirely for my spring break. Do you know anyone there that you think you know, is doing something like if you do, I didn't even, I didn't even qualify it with like quality. It was like, if you know anybody there who's working in tech or PR, like, please just make me an intro. And I, that's all I ask. And so an adjunct professor for one of my, uh, you know, major classes had had a student who was working, um, you know, for a startup out there. He put me in touch with him. I met with him. He said, you know, I don't really have like any thing for you at my company, but I have this other friend who uh, works at a PR agency. Maybe she can, you know, help you. And then I went and talked to her and then she was like, oh, I'm actually not working at that agency anymore, but I've got this other thing, you know, a startup that I want to start. So I was like, okay, like I'll intern for your startup, you know, and like that was what we had agreed on, you know, when I left San Francisco after spring break. And then between literally like March and May, her startup just like blew away, Uh, just like imploded. So I, uh, or something, I don't know, just, the opportunity was no longer there. And so I was like, well, what do I do now? And she, you know, she was like, okay, well, actually, maybe I'll, I'll just put you in contact with the PR agency I used to work at. And um, maybe, you know, they'll have something for you. So it was literally like five degrees of separation or something, um, networking with like literally nothing to offer. It was like, I'm a college graduate. That's about all I have, you know, to my name, I have the paper, or I might have the paper, you know, in a month, you know, once I pay the bill or whatever, it's my grades come back. And somehow, you know, just through, I don't know, sheer networking was able to persevere far enough to get into somebody who actually, you know, could give me a job interview. So, you know, I think like as much as possible, anytime that I can connect someone to someone else, is I see that as a win. That's been my entire career has been who can I talk to that has a connection to somewhere else. So just from a purely networking perspective, I always try to pay that forward. And then, you know, just I've learned things through um, through my career about how marketing works, how startup works, how startups work, uh, you know, how tech as an industry works that I think people who are in the little bubble of San Francisco can kind of take for granted, but it's not intuitive, you know, some of the social mores and um, kind of expectations of professional communication, as much as I can help people figure out the things that I have learned the hard way, um, you know, I want to, I want to do so because a lot of people, a lot of people have helped me, you know, along the way. People have edited my emails. People have connected me without knowing whether or not I'll say a single intelligent word to the person that they're introducing me to. You know, I uh, I think a lot of people have taken chances on me, so I, I as much as possible want to like be a valuable node in the network for the people in my life. I like that. A valuable node in the network. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Try to be a word nerd when possible. I want to switch gears a little bit and go almost back to what you originally were deciding between, between uh, tech and music, and switch gears into music because you, my friend, started, founded a DJ collective called Thump Therapy in San Francisco, California, and that is cool as hell. Can you please tell the folks at home how that started and and where that came from. Totally. So yeah, I actually, I think that that goes 
you know, actually to our friend group, uh, you know, in college, we had a lot of friends who messed with beats, you know, our good buddy Torin and Alan as well would, you know, they were very musical guys and just like through osmosis, you know, I learned a bit about um, producing music in the, in the laptop, you know, in the box through them. And uh, there was, there was a time a few years ago, back in 2016, where I had finally kind of transitioned from the panic chapter, you know, of like graduating with more in student loans than like my annual salary, you know, <laughs> like uh, value and going to work in like the hot, one of the highest cost of living places in the country took me a few years to not have crippling credit card debt after that. But, you know, I found myself where, okay, I actually, you know, I have a little bit of disposable income and I want to just take my little bitty interest in um, an experience in, uh, in beat making and take it to the next level. And I really want to like invest in myself and, and learn this really well. So I spent more money on anything than I, you know, than I ever had. I put two grand down to do a three month, like intensive night class uh, on Ableton from this uh, music studio in San Francisco called Pyramind. You know, they, they focus a lot on like video game music, but they've also, they do like full time music production, composition and DJing classes. And they have graduated some really incredible musicians. And, and actually I just, they also just make a ton of awesome YouTube videos, which is how I even knew about them was just through their free stuff they publish online. So I, yeah, I put, I put, you know, two months rent into this night class. It was supposed to be a four month course and I dropped it after three <laughs> um, because I, you know, I, I was spending 40 hours a week in the office, at least um, writing, you know, using my hands for work. Uh, and then I would spend at least another 20 uh, on music. I was, you know, it was like four hours of studio classroom time each week. And then I would try to spend at least, you know, another 16 uh, each week, just kind of giving myself homework and, and working on, on music. And I ended up giving myself like carpal tunnel and panic attacks from how hard I was pushing oh myself. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty rough. Like, you know, I, I think I just had placed so much pressure on myself because of how much money I had put into it that I was just like, I don't want to waste a cent of the opportunity of like having access to this classroom and having access to these teachers. And so I was like, you know, starting a new project, like a new song like every week and um, really pushing myself and kind of, you know, ended up putting myself in a rough, you know, physical, emotional position. And so I dropped it. But before I did that, one of my classmates, he had thrown, he was throwing a house party at some point and he had me come and he was like, we get, when he gave me the invite, he's like, you're going to do a set. And I was like, what? the hell <laughs> I, you know i can definitely like talk the talk a bit in ableton but like at the time i i had no idea i never touched a dj mixer in my life um but 
uh, you know, it's in everybody's mind when they're in an Ableton class, like maybe I could make something that I could DJ someday. So I was really stoked about the opportunity to learn. And so um, he's like, yeah, just bring, you know, come over, you know, a few hours early, like in the afternoon and, um, you know, put a bunch of music on a USB, you know, stuff that you would want to DJ yourself. So I did. And I brought it and it was a literal crash crash course because um you know i plugged my usb in and uh it analyzed all the tracks and whatnot and i started playing and his laptop crashed like within 15 minutes like i guess i was that bad no it's not you yeah the technology was like no the computer no. just <laughs> pulling the plug pulled the yeah. plug yeah um but literally just like 15 minutes of of hands-on control of music in the way that like you know playing with dj mixer gives you was such a powerful experience i loved it i was like i need to get myself one of these right away and uh and so i did i bought i was on a tractor s4 at the time which is a pretty cheap like entry level um controller that you have to run with a laptop but i still actually think that the tractor controllers are, are pretty sweet. A lot of people poo-poo them in the industry because, um, you know, they're they're kind of seen as toys, like in the face of the much more robust, you know, pioneer systems and and whatnot. But but I think that they have some cool controls and and, fun, and functions. But yeah, so I bought a, a tractor S4, and um, you know, I would have my friends over, you know, kind of just doing the things like just like we would literally set it up in my room drink a few beers and just like mess with music, you know, play with the tractor and just like do terribly, just like, you know, it was so bad, <laughs> but it was like so fun. You know, I, I mentioned before, like the feeling of control that you have over a song when you can, you know, skip ahead, skip back, loop, you know, cue it up, it's play it over something else. Like just the fundamental basic things you do when you're DJing it's just you understand music a lot a lot quicker um, and a lot more deeply um, and come to appreciate you know the the nuances of a, of a track a lot more so just 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 like it was a great way to like learn how to appreciate music more deeply after a few months of trying that I think we had you know I'd owned the I'd owned the thing like the mixer for like a couple only a couple months and I was just like I want to play some music for my friends but I lived in a tiny little you know tiny little room in a in a very crowded house in San Francisco and didn't really have anywhere to throw a party definitely did not belong on a stage you know <laughs> like I couldn't like go hit up a bar and be like let me throw a, a you know a promo night or something but um, I had seen a friend throw a party in Golden Gate Park that um, I thought was really cool. They offer, you know, the ability for literally anyone can call the parks department and book a like a picnic table or a meadow and it's like 50 bucks and you can have 50 people there and you're not supposed to have any amplified sound you're, but, but you can use a Bluetooth speaker. Uh, so we thought we were really clever because we bought the biggest bluetooth speakers that you could find uh as and made sure that they had like xlr ports in the back so we could actually route to them from the dj mixer <laughs> they're so dinky you know in hindsight like that we thought that we were doing anything you know playing out of these bluetooth speakers is, is its own joke but like it, you know it was fun and you know so we through a party, just a picnic in, in Golden Gate Park that we called uh, Arbitrary Park Day. 
and you know brought out a little generator ran the little dinky mixer i think we had like we didn't even have a table or pa stands at the time so we i we like we found like a tree trunk you know in the forest like in like the little copes of trees next to the meadow oh my god set up the mixer on top yes, of that yes. and put the yeah. um put the speakers on the ground um and like i think 20 people came and it was like a total clown show you know i had some i already had some like much more legit like dj friends at the time who just came and just just lambasted me just like were giving me so much grief for um you know for how bad it was in any transition you know that i that i messed up somehow they would be like what, what are you doing like you know but it was really fun um nonetheless and uh immediately you know after we um we got home uh we were like we got to do that again so you know the next like monday i uh called the parks department and I booked three more dates to do the same thing. The next one we, you know, had a proper table to put the mixer on, you know, we bought some PA stands that uh, we put the speakers on and we had like a little easy up to, you know, to shade the thing and um, kind of just got progressively more legit over the next couple of parties. And then our mutual friend, Alan, you know, he came up with a couple of musician friends of his from LA and we kind of treated it like a gig, you know, it's like, we booked the guys from why not us, you know, and they're going to play this thing. And I think we were actually calling it, that was the first time we had called it thump therapy, but we, we called it thump therapy three because it's like the third time we had thrown up a, a park party. So there actually never was the first or second thump therapy. We just started with thump therapy. Started on with three. three. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So yeah, there's still on the uh, on the Thumb Therapy SoundCloud, there is still these little like short like mini mixes that uh, Alan and his friends made to like promote the party. But yeah, you know, that was 2017 summer. We, we branded it Thumb Therapy, started putting out Facebook event invites, you know, promoting it like we would promote a party in college. <laughs> <laughs> Which we did. We did well. Yeah. And a lot. We did a lot. We did it well. Yeah, we were, we, we were sharpened, sharpened skills with that. And, you know, we went from having like 20 or 30 people at the first, you know, event to having, I want to say like 200 people showed up to the fifth one that we threw. And we had a bounce house, which we rented. My good friend, Yulin came in huge. She had seen the parties that we were throwing and wanted to throw her own. And I was like, just be us. So Yulin joined Thump Therapy and became like one of the, you know, founding members and one of the definitely most like, you know, hardworking members of the of the crew. And she had uh, rented a bounce house and, you know, got like a live painter to come and like we kind of got to you know way ahead of our skis you know on like the production value before we really knew what we were doing but you know just a lot of enthusiasm and creativity went into just kind of trying to make the coolest experience little picnic party happen and just the taste of that you know experience the kind of hyper growth that we were able to see after like literally one sunny season of throwing them the the winter between 2017 and 2018 i think i've never been more conspiratorial you know <laughs> like in my entire life i was like how do we blow this thing up from here 2018 we definitely like kind of took a leap forward we had a friend with like an actual powered pa system bring it uh bring that out with the generator we kind of were like you know if they want us to stop like if the rangers come and tell us to stop then we'll stop 
like but we're not being that much louder than we were before so like you know let's just incrementally see what we can do and so and you know we've always wanted to be like respectful of the space we always make sure everybody every you know we leave the place better than we found it and anytime there's like a complaint we've always fielded it you know with politeness and respect so we don't want to be like rogue actors or you know um take for granted the just ridiculous beauty of of golden gate park and and what what that means to the community around it it's not just there for us to throw a party uh we want to be like great great shepherds of that but it's also a great place to throw a party so (laughs) (laughs) so why not do both why not respectfully and with great care throw an amazing party yeah you know i think anything that gets more people out to the park is is better you know it's it's an incredible public good uh that I don't think it gets used enough in San Francisco. So yeah, so 2018, we started throwing parties that were much more legit. We actually built a DJ booth over this over the winter. My friend Riley is an excellent seamstress, uh, you know, amateur artisan seamstress, and she helped me sew these massive panels 10 feet or 12 feet long at the bottom she was like this is the longest seam i've ever sewn in my life um so yeah we made a dj booth um we threw i think one or two parties and then we just had some random person not some random person it was actually as a friend post on our facebook event like oh can't make it but let me know where the after party is and we were like we could throw an after party you know, why not? We already throw one party that's really exhausting to throw this day. Why don't we throw two, you know, fully destroy ourselves in the process. So I had seen a couple friends DJ at Milk Bar, which is an awesome little bar club uh, in the Haight-Ashbury neighborhood in San Francisco, which is directly adjacent to Golden Gate Park. And it seemed to be, you know, just the the cute little dive that we might fit into and um so i actually emailed them out of the blue and was kind of explained what we were doing and we're like you know could you give us a shot at like a dj night and they said yes so that was kind of the first time that we like the the fish stepping onto the land you know (laughs) like we have we evolved from just never just kind of operating entirely outside of the of the realm of the real nightlife scene you know, or the real music scene, we kind of like stepped onto the very bottom, you know, rung of the, I wouldn't call, you know, Milk Bar the bottom rung of the ladder. Milk Bar is awesome. And I, you know, I think anybody should, should go there. If you're ever in San Francisco, the ownership team, the bartenders, they're awesome, but it is a dive and it's a pretty small venue. And I think like, you know, it was a great start for us. We started throwing monthly after parties for our park party. And that was the first time we were charging tickets, you know, uh, having to do like real, you know, striking real deals with venues and uh, starting to have an actual income, any kind of, you know, income for the ridiculous amounts of money we threw at that project. We're definitely still very, very, very far in the red on the project, but, um, you know, we're in the black in our hearts. Uh, yes, it's a know. passion project. You know? Passion project. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that's kind of how we got started and it's really snowballed from there. I've been to a, f- a few now. Yeah, you did some awesome work there uh, with the video stuff that you've done. Thank you. Thank you so much. And can confirm that it is an absolute blast. And I think one of, I think the one that I did that I filmed, you came up to me and you said, I know maybe 
10% of the people here and the rest are, they just, they showed up, which is awesome. I feel like that's, that's so much of the beauty of, of throwing some of those parties and also incredibly talented people. So if you're ever in San Francisco in the, in the summertime and you're wandering through Golden Gate Park and you hear great music, it's a good chance. It's still therapy. I actually am really proud of the fact that I think we're carrying on a tradition, you know, that's 50, 60 years old now, you know, this 1960s, you had Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, um, Whole Summer of Love, you know, that was the same thing that we're doing, you know, if, but way cooler, you know, like that was, that was, that was people, you know, just going into Golden Gate Park and making music and hanging out. What we do is not original, but it's, I think just the new, like, you know, it's a new take on an age old tradition. Now that brings us to recommendations. Are you ready? We're going to, I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask for a book. A uh, music recommendation and a recipe. So we're going to start with a book. What do you got? I think that the book that I would recommend just for its own sake is, this is probably such a cliche, but I don't care, uh, is The Sun Also Rises by Ernest Hemingway, which I actually think is uh, another reason for your and I's continued friendship over the last couple of years has been our literature explorations because you were the one who seized upon my, you know, burgeoning interest in Hemingway and gifted me with, with For Whom the Bell Tolls, which I found really awesome as well. So kind of random, but the word nerd literature book guy in me says, if you're listening and you haven't tried it, like maybe, maybe give the classics a try. Uh, it's an American classic. I think there's a lot to a lot to love there. A recipe. I have been cooking a lot over the last year. I think these weird peanut butter bars that I've been making have been the thing that have made my mornings productive at all for the last uh, the last year. So I don't know how to share a recipe, but I have. I can probably send you a link to my cook pad. That will absolutely do. Peanut butter bars. Yeah. Or is this like a like, sweet, like a sweet thing? Or you say it's in the morning. Oh no. So is it like a, like a, it's like a peanut butter breakfast type, like super protein? Yeah, it's just a breakfast bar. It's literally just like oats, peanut butter, almond butter, almond flour, peanut flour, vanilla extract, coconut oil, and almond milk. I think it's, so it's literally just like a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. And you just, you got to get the, the ratios right in order to create a good consistency and then you just put it in a cookie sheet in the fridge overnight and you chop it up the next day and you've got some just like protein nuggets that are just you know whole food all natural just ready to start you on your day with an easy thing sounds delightful uh music can be a song or an artist should have prepared for this one better. There's so much. It's a tough one. It's, 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 this is the hardest question, honestly. Oh yeah. Big time. I think like selfishly, I would like to plug the Thump Therapy YouTube channel because I think we are going to publish a lot of really cool music, music mixes. But I think uh, as far as artists, I can't, I would be remiss if I didn't recommend the friends. Funkoscope, Wufu and Stripes are, uh, just the hometown heroes of mine that I really, 
you know, want to see continue in their work, the more, you know, attention they can get for their brilliance and genius, the better. So look up Funkoscope, Wufu, and Stripes. There are three separate artists, but they're all great. Fantastic. Fantastic. They will be in the show notes and they will be in the season one collection of books, artists, and recipes. Thank you so much for, uh, you know, the great conversation. This has been a pleasure. Thank you, Liam Hausman, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. It was great talking with you. Thank you. Have a great uh, rest of your evening. And thank you for listening, folks. That does it for today's episode. I hope the hangover doesn't hit you too hard. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I truly appreciate it. If you have more time to subscribe, comment, or leave a review, that's very helpful for this podcast's success with the algorithm, the omnipotent algorithm. Feel free to find the pod on Instagram at vulnerabilityhangoverpod or on Twitter at podhangover. You can listen to this podcast wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Special thanks to Alan Hirsch and Torin Westfall for original music. The rest is all me, Anthony Rita. Thank you again, and until next time, drink in that vulnerability.